I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter number 11. Normally, we would be in a series through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings that I've titled On Mission. And if I were in that series today, we'd be in Acts chapter 9, studying the conversion of Saul. But we're not in that series, though we're in the same book of the Bible. We're actually taking what I've been preaching on Sunday nights, a series on the church. We're going to take a sermon from that series that I haven't preached yet, and we're going to preach it this morning. Um, I've brought some messages um, on Sunday evenings regarding the church so far. And just to catch you up, I've talked about the history of the church. Where did we come from? I spent a couple weeks talking about that. After that, I started talking about the distinctions between a Baptist church and other Protestant churches. Not not to say that we're better than anybody because we're Baptists, but there are some distinct practices and and beliefs that Baptists hold. And I want to talk about those with our church, and I have been on Sunday evenings. Historically, there were three things that made Baptist congregations distinct when they first came about in the early 1600s. First, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, there was the way they practiced baptism. Baptists historically have believed in what is called believer's baptism or credo-baptism. This, this caused them to separate from the Church of England who practiced infant baptism. Again, I, I, I taught that a couple Sunday nights ago. I'll even talk about that a little bit more today. Second, and this is something I'll talk about next Sunday night, Baptists believed and practiced what is called congregationalism. So instead of the king of England being the head of the church, instead of the pope being the head of the church, Baptists believe that Jesus is the head of the church and that, that he's given the church the authority to govern itself under his headship. We'll talk about that next week. Third, and what we're going to be talking about this morning is the way that Baptists believed and practiced church membership. This distinction has been called meaningful membership. Now, the reason I'm teaching this this morning is because, as I said, we're having a communion service tonight, and I believe this teaching on meaningful membership ties into that service. So I felt like this would just be a good and appropriate message to preach before that ordinance tonight. The question I want to answer is, is this, what is it about church membership that Baptists have historically believed differently than the state church that they separated from in England. Why is this such an important point of emphasis in the way a church is to be rightly ordered? Now let me say this as a disclaimer, if you'll allow me to. Everybody, under the sound of my voice today, is kind of in a different season um, of their spiritual life, their spiritual journey. Some would come today, and you've been a member of Fellowship Baptist Church for as long as you can remember. That's me. In fact, the first time I attended here, I, I was... Well, it was nine months before I was born, I was in this church. I've been here literally my whole life, haven't I, Mom? And uh, I didn't have a choice most of the time. Some of you are like that here. Some of you have, have, have been newly installed into the membership of Fellowship Baptist Church. And we've welcomed you into the Fellowship family and glad you're a part. Some are maybe just attending. You're visiting and, and, and you wanted to worship with us today. Um, by no means would I want to, to cloak this message as some type of sales pitch for our church. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not a salesman today. Um, I'm trying to teach our church why meaningful church membership is in the Bible. 
and what it means. And so if, if you aren't yet there on your spiritual journey or you're still searching the Lord or, or seeking out the Lord's will, here's what you got to know. You're not judged because you're not a member of our church. Um, I don't want you to feel insecure about that. I, I don't want you to feel like you don't fit in because of that. I don't want you to feel like you're pressured to be that or do that if that's not where you are. On your journey right now, we're available to help you with that. But through this message, I just want to be clear that that I, I don't want to pressure anybody into that or, or make you feel like, man, I showed up to this church. I just wanted to worship. And now I'm, I got to be a card carrying member, I guess. That's not my heart. I don't want to get that across. So hopefully God will help me uh, in that spirit today. Um, if you're in Acts chapter 11, I want to read verses 19 through 21. And then we'll we'll try to dive into our outline today. Acts 11, verse 19 through 21. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. First point is, is this, church membership is necessary. As we just read, the people of Antioch heard the word of God. They, they, they heard the message about the Lord Jesus. They believed it. And the Bible says they turned to the Lord. That was faith and repentance. This is what we call conversion or salvation. They realized that they had sinned against God. They, they realized because of their sin that they deserved God's judgment. They understood that God the Son came as Jesus in the flesh and he took God's judgment for them. And then they realized that if they chose to trust in his work on the cross, that they would be saved from judgment. This is salvation. This is what we call the good news of the gospel. And I hope that you've believed that good news today. Now, of course, we know that being saved is the most important decision you can ever make in your life. But God's word tells us not only how to be saved from our sins, it also shows us the best way to live for God after we're saved. I stopped our reading a little bit short. So let's go to verse 22 and read the rest of our text. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. Watch this now. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the, next word please, church. And taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So, so these followers of Jesus believed the gospel. And then after they got saved, it's recorded for us that they assembled together as a church, a congregation. That's where the name Christian comes from, from this group of believers that, that assembled to worship the Lord and hear the apostles teaching. They were called Christians now, what does that teach us? Well, it teaches us that, that even though believing in the gospel is what's most important, it's also important to be part of a congregation. A, 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 a group of saved, baptized believers. And that's not only what we saw in, in Antioch here in Acts 11. 
If you go back to Acts chapter 2, we saw that happen in the church of Jerusalem. It says in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they got saved, they were baptized. Then what did they do? They joined with other believers in that local church located at Jerusalem. Do you get it? This was all God's plan all along. Do you remember back in Matthew 28 when he looked at his disciples and gave them what we refer today as the Great Commission? He told them to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What did he tell them next? For those that get saved, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Then what did he tell them third? He said, teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. How would they teach the new converts? They would teach their new converts as those new converts came to church to sit under the apostles teaching alongside other believers. This is what church membership is. Church membership is converted, baptized people committing to one another for spiritual accountability and learning the teachings of the apostles about God. That is a great definition of church membership. This kind of church membership is vitally important to every Christian's life. It's not that you have to become a church member in order to be saved and go to heaven. No, but you should join a church because you have been saved. That's the pattern we get with the early Christians. They got saved and they got baptized and then they joined a local congregation of believers. Now, some people wonder if if the early Christians actually kept a formal list of people who were members of their congregation, like, like we do today. I, I think the Bible uh, answers that, at least by implication, in 1 Corinthians verse five, or chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Look at these verses. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, this is a very intense passage of Scripture, and, and so don't be too intimidated by it, but it's very serious. He said, don't keep company with, with fornicators. Yet not all together with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother, somebody you go to church with, be a fornicator or covetous or or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one. No, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. I believe there's a couple lines of evidence that prove that they knew who were members of the church and who weren't. This church had those who were considered, did you see it in verse 12, that were on the outside. And those who were considered on the inside. Paul took for granted that this congregation knew who were members and who were not members. He said those on the inside were under the authority or accountability of that church, the church of Corinth. Meaning if they persisted in unrepentant sin, the church was commanded, I just read it, commanded to exclude them from membership. At the same time, verse 12 teaches us that a congregation has no authority over believers who are without No authority over people who are not members of their church. Paul said, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? 
The clear implication is that the church knew by name who was on the inside and accountable to them and who was on the outside and not under their accountability. The only way to know such things is to have church membership at some type of formal level. But practically speaking, this passage gives a really good reason for why church membership is necessary. Because to be a Christian, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the expectation is you live a holy life. You, you fight against sin. You don't live a sinless life. I don't live a sinless life. But, but to be a, a church member, to belong to one of God's churches, you are committing yourself to living righteously the best you can with the Holy Spirit's help. And, and, and hear me, you can't do that successfully on your, on your own. 1 Corinthians 5 implies this. You need the accountability of brothers and sisters in Christ that you worship with on the Lord's day. See, every one of us are prone to wonder. We're prone to stray. Prone to leave the God we love, the songwriter says. We have temptation in us. We have temptation around us, constantly pulling us away from, from living a holy life. Friend, that's why we all need to submit ourselves to a local congregation of believers. This is why we need to place ourselves under the accountability of a church family so that you can have other believers looking out for you and praying with you and keeping you on the right path. Another great example of the necessity of church membership is found in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's speaking to elders or pastors. The elders which are among you I exhort... Who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Here's what he tells pastors. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Pastors are given the responsibility to feed the flock of God that they're over. They're commanded to give oversight to the congregation that they lead. And Peter even tells us that every pastor like myself, like our pastoral staff members, will give account to the chief shepherd for how they led their congregation or their flock, as Peter puts it. The clear implication here is that every pastor must know who's in his flock. Okay, if, if I and the pastoral staff are to lead and give oversight to the sheep in this pasture and do it in a way that's pleasing to God, where we'll stand unashamed before him and give an answer to it, we have to know the names of those who have formally committed themselves to our leadership. Doesn't that make sense? I'm not going to force my spiritual leadership on anybody. I'm not going to lord over anybody. The sign that you desire to be pastored by myself or any of the pastors on staff or any pastor from any church is that you formally commit to that church that that pastor pastors. So why is church membership important? Well, it's necessary. Notice the second thing about church membership. Church membership should be voluntary. Baptists have historically believed that no one should be forced to join a specific church and no one should be forced to join a specific denomination. As opposed to the historic Roman Catholic Church, you can read up on it on your own, even some other denominations, they persecuted those who rejected their teachings. Literally killed many. Baptists refused to persecute people because of their beliefs. Baptists held to something that we call to this day religious liberty. And that if someone chose a different set of beliefs, well, that was their choice. And there should be no formal repercussions as a result. 
So why are Baptists passionate about this? Well, that's where our next point comes in. Church membership is for believers only. The fact that it's voluntary and the fact that it's, it's for regenerated, converted believers goes hand in hand. This is one of the main reasons why some Christians pulled away from the state church in England and started their own congregation in 1609 that would become the Baptist church as we know it today because the church of England was baptizing babies. The problem with this is that it took away the convert's choice in the matter. Baptism and church membership were no longer voluntary. An infant doesn't get a choice as to whether or not they want to profess their faith through baptism. The parents make that choice for them. And men like Thomas Hewless, who started the first Baptist church in England, he had a problem with that. He was convicted that infant baptism wasn't taught in Scripture. Instead, he and Baptist since have believed that baptism is for those who have previously confessed their faith in Christ. It's called believer's baptism, and it's a free choice that every professing believer must make for themselves. I want to show you in Scripture, this isn't just a Baptist thing. This is clear in Scripture. Acts 2.41 again, Then they that gladly received His word, they were saved, were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You caught the order, right? They believed in the Word of God, then they were baptized. Believer's baptism. Acts 8, 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They, they didn't get baptized in order to be saved and they didn't get baptized before they professed their faith in Christ. Acts 8, verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came into a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. You see that there? It's clear in these scriptures that conversion precedes baptism. I want to be kind about it, but I do want to reiterate the the problem with infant baptism. Babies cannot personally confess their faith in Jesus Christ. I love babies. We have a bunch of them in our nursery right now. But none of them have the capacity at that age to recognize their sin. To understand the gospel. And to believe. And if infants can't confess their faith in Christ, then they can't be scripturally baptized, which means they can't be members of a church. And it's not just that they're incapable of confessing their faith in Christ. It's also that infants are incapable of understanding and fulfilling their responsibilities as a church member. I mean, think about that. Here's an infant's church experience on the Lord's Day. They come to church. They get dropped off in a nursery. They get their diapers changed. And then they get their cheeks pinched a few times on the way out the door. That's a successful Lord's Day for an infant. That's what church means to an infant. I'm afraid that's what it means to some adults too, but we won't go there. The point is that, is that an infant is totally incapable of fulfilling the Bible responsibilities that come along with being a member of one of God's churches. Thus, they shouldn't be baptized into the membership of a church. If maybe you're here today and you've never heard about believer's baptism and you come from 
a denomination that baptized you as a baby before you were able to even confess your faith in Christ. And, and maybe this is new to you. I, I would just say I would love to sit down and talk with you about that. You, you, you can't help necessarily that you were, you, you were baptized as a baby and, and that, that maybe you've been trusting in that all this time. I'm not saying you're a bad person for that at all. But I am saying this on the authority of God's word. Your infant baptism will not take you to heaven. Why? Why? Because you did not personally realize the depravity of your soul. You do not understand the holiness of God and that you sinned against that holiness. And that you'd have to answer to a holy God. You could not understand that at that age. You couldn't understand the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to die on a cross for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, and to make you right with God. You couldn't understand justification at that point. There's no way you could have gotten saved. I believe children can get saved, but I don't believe infants can get saved. Well, what if an infant dies? I believe the, the Bible teaches us that they are safe in Christ. That's a whole other sermon, but I, I believe they're safe in Christ. But if you're not saved today because you're trusting in, in a baptism that you didn't even choose for yourself. Or if you're just trusting in baptism in general to save you. I want to encourage you. Come talk to me about that. I want to show you the good news of the gospel that says you do not have to work your way to heaven in any shape, form, or fashion. But Jesus did it all for you. Now there's one more point I want to make about church membership. And this is what ties into our communion service tonight. I want to talk about how meaningful church membership is a commitment. If church membership was, was just about having your name on a church roll or having a place where your kids can get married or where your family can have all their funerals, then it would be, it would be meaningless. Church membership becomes meaningful only as two parties commit. It becomes meaningful as the church member commits to the church and as the church in turn commits to that church member. It's a mutual commitment. And without this mutual commitment, the Christian cannot be what God intends for them to be. And in some cases, according to 1 Corinthians 12, the church can't be all it's supposed to be. If God intends to set you in this body, but you don't want to be set in this body, then the church is hurting in some regard because of that. There's, there's a member that we're missing. I want to show you this principle in Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn there in your Bible. You can look on the screen. The author gives us a blueprint for our life in the church. This is so important, so hang with me. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Do you get the command there, the imperative? Hold fast the profession of our faith. Now what does that mean? To hold fast the profession of our faith means this, that we persevere in our faith to the very end. Meaning until we die or until Christ returns, we are to be found faithfully loving the Lord and trusting in the Lord and following the Lord. Now, now let's admit it. That's a tall task for Christians, isn't it? Especially for the Christians that, that the author of Hebrews was talking to because they were being persecuted for their faith. They were tempted daily to quit. And to turn back, and so are we in some measure, whether it be because of the pressures of the world or because of the daily discouragements and doubts that we face, we're often tempted to turn back from following the Lord. So how do we persevere? How do we obey this command? How do we stay faithful to the end? Well, the next two verses tell us. 
And let us consider one another unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The way we stay faithful to God into the end, follow me here, is through our life together as a church. The verse says, don't stop meeting together. That's the paraphrase. Are are you watching me? Don't stop meeting together. The only chance you have at holding fast your profession to the very end is through a mutual commitment to a corporate body of believers. I could use a few amens this morning so I know I'm not flying solo today. Am I boring or you are what? What's going on? Are you thinking? At least the pastoral staff members can bark at me a little bit. This doesn't happen individually. Thank you. It's not just you and Jesus. God has given you a congregation of believers to provoke you to love and good works. He's given you a church that can stoke the flames of your spirituality when they start to die down. But in order for that to happen, you have to commit yourself to this group of people. And this group of people, this congregation, has to commit themselves to you. That's why church membership is important. It's a formal commitment to one another. To help understand that commitment we we have toward one another as church members. And to constantly remind us of that commitment. We put together a church covenant. I want to introduce that to you today. This is a document that summarizes the commitments we make to each other as members of Fellowship Baptist Church. You won't find this covenant word for word in the Bible because like our statement of faith is a summary of what the Bible tells us to believe, the covenant is a summary of how the Bible calls us to live together. This is something we show and explain to every prospective member that goes through the assimilation program, Fellowship 101 and 201 and 301. Agreeing to the covenant is a way of formalizing the commitment that you're making to the other members of this church. It's a way of promising that that you'll open up your life to us so that we can in turn open up our life to you. Most churches, if not all churches, have covenants, but most churches don't ever visit them. Starting tonight at our communion service, we're going to recite our church covenant out loud to each other. We'll do this during all five communion services in 2023. And here's why. Because we need to be regularly reminded of how God has commanded all of us to live together in community with other believers. And we need to regularly recommit ourselves to living out our God-given responsibilities toward one another. See, a church covenant doesn't just help Somebody pursue meaningful membership on the front end when they're going through fellowship 101 and 201 and 301. I want you to catch this. It helps each of us to remain meaningful and committed members throughout our entire time of being church members at Fellowship Baptist Church. It's easy to join a church and be on fire and and start really well. And then and then just temptation comes and distraction comes and 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 we misprioritize things and and we get into a pattern where, well, we're not a meaningful church member anymore. We're 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 just a spectator. We're just a casual observer. And I want to show you from this church covenant that it's taken all from the epistles. It's taken all from the New Testament where where God does place some pretty lofty commitments on believers who congregate together every week and call themselves an assembly, a church. 
These covenants are not meant to put fear into anybody. These covenants are not meant to be a list of rules that you have to keep or else. These covenants are just reminders from the word of God. For the commitments and responsibilities we have toward each other as we do life together in Fellowship Baptist Church. That's it. So they're to inspire you and remind you. Not to, not to put you in fear. Let me walk through these and then we'll be done. This is an introductory paragraph to the covenant. Having been brought to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to Him. And having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. We do now, relying on His grace, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. I want you to notice three things in that introductory paragraph. First, the covenant's being made by Christians only. The words repent and believe are taken from Jesus' words in Mark chapter 1. And they signify a people who've been saved. Second, the covenant is to be made by baptized Christians. We don't expect non-members to keep this covenant. Third, the covenant can only be kept with God's help. The words relying on His grace imply that, that, that none of us have the ability to fulfill these things on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit, which, which really makes meaningful membership so important. Which, which makes being saved to be a member, like salvation, a requirement for membership. It makes it so important because if, if once you become a member, you're expected from the Bible to do certain things in the life of a church, and you're going to see some of these things, then it goes against your nature. Like forgiving people, that doesn't come natural. Having patience with people that annoy you, that doesn't come natural. And giving When you don't feel like giving, that doesn't come natural. Being faithful when you're tired, that doesn't come natural. That's why being saved is a requirement for church membership because being a church member requires so many unnatural things. That way you have to have the Holy Spirit to give you the fruits of the Spirit and His power. Second paragraph gets the specific things we're committing to do. Number two, we will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You look through every major movement of God in the book of Acts. And you know what what it said of the people that were involved in that movement? They were all in one accord. Unity in a church is foundational to that church's effectiveness with the gospel. This this line is a quote from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, where we're called to endeavor or work for unity. Here's why. Here's why this is important. Because we are a bunch of sinners. Can I get an amen? amen? And when you bring a bunch of sinners together, they sin. They naturally divide, they nitpick, and they selfishly exalt their rights and preferences. So as members of this church, we commit to pray and work for unity. That means we commit to not talk behind each other's backs. We commit to forgive each other when we fail. We commit to give each other the benefit of the doubt and not just intentionally misunderstand somebody. It means we surrender our preferences and opinions for the good of others and the glory of Christ. It means we're careful with each other's reputations. It means we take time to listen to each other and consider each other's desires. It makes sure we're not majoring on the minors. Number three, when we walk together in brotherly love, it becomes the members of a church. Exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully confront and correct one another as occasion may require. Brotherly love, that's in 1 Thessalonians 
Does brotherly love mean that we got to have sweet feelings toward each other every time we see each other and greet one another with a holy kiss? No, it doesn't mean that. Biblical love is deeper than a feeling. It's an affectionate care. It's a practical love that prays for one another, visits the sick, makes meals for the grieving, helps the physical needs, meet the physical needs of the poor. It's a watchful love. You're looking out to protect each other from sin and mistakes. That that love is guarded and guided by truth. It means that we love each other by admonishing and entreating each other when we sin. For most in our day, they would say that for you to speak truth into my life or to kindly call me out when I'm in sin is close-minded. It's judgmental. It's unloving. I'm telling you, that's not true. The most loving thing you can do for me if I'm struggling in sin is to come and speak with me about it. A church is a place where where we can simultaneously speak hard truths and be filled with grace. Number four, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. When you commit to be a church member, what does that mean? You commit to come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, unless providentially hindered, unless sick, unless, unless you can't, means you prioritize the assembly, hearing God's word, singing, praying, serving, giving, fellowship. This is what we need. It's what unifies us on the Lord's day. We come in on the Lord's day. Why do we, why do we worship on Sundays? Because he resurrected. He lives again. And so when we come in, what do we have in common, even though we're so different from each other? What unifies us when we come in and assemble? The fact that we all serve a risen Savior. We have different personalities and different backgrounds and different temperaments and different, pers- and, and different financial statuses and different jobs and careers and kids and preferences. But we can all agree on this. We serve a risen Savior. So you got to come on Sundays to celebrate that. When someone stops assembling with their church, it's usually a sign of one or two things. And I'm talking about on a regular basis, just go missing in action. I've found that they're either in sin or they're about to be. Meeting with other Christians on a regular basis, did you know it helps you fight sin? Yet I found that if we're struggling with sin, the devil will often lie to us and try to convince us to stay away from church until we have our act together. As though the church is for like really good people. The Bible teaches us that the last thing you do when you're struggling with sin is stay away from one of the most powerful means that God has given you to fight for fellowship with him. When you feel like coming to church the least is when you probably need it the most. Number five, we will endeavor to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. This is a commitment we make when we join the church. Some of us are parents, some aren't. But hear me, this is why we have a children's ministry. We're all committing to help those that are parents to bring up their children as the Bible calls them to. Our Christian academies exist to help parents bring their kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our Sunday school classes for children exist to help bring kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We do Pop-Tarts and PJs to help parents bring up their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We run buses to help parents who won't help their kids in the Lord. We, we, we pick them up so we can help them love 
the Lord. Outside of the children of our church, we all have lost friends and and family members. We need to commit that together. We will pray for our lost friends. We'll pray for our lost family members. We'll pray for each other that God would give us boldness in our witness to them. Number six, we will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrow. Don't you know we live in a world full of jealousy and envy and greed? As a church, we're called to be different. In Romans chapter 12, we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That means we rejoice when others get pregnant, even if that's not possible for us. It means when someone else gets a promotion at work and we do anything just to have a decent job, we still rejoice. It means we're called to see each other's happiness and praise God for it. But we're also called to mourn with those who mourn. Galatians 6 says, bear each other's burdens. We were never designed to go through trials by ourselves. So when you see a brother or sister that is hurting in your church family, that's not the pastor's job to go talk to them. I'm a church member, so it is my job. But you're a church member too. It's your job too. It's a mutual commitment. That's why we join connection groups. So we don't just see the back of people's heads at a service. We get to see their faces and we open up our connection group with kind of a bear each other's burdens time. And we can write down what each other's carrying in life, some prayer requests. And that means throughout the week, we can keep an eye on that small group of people at least and help them bear their burdens. Number seven, we will seek to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust and remembering that as we have been buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation to lead a new and holy life. Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. We need encouragement to stay on the narrow path of righteousness and say no to the world. I'm afraid that the American church has become secularized. And that burdens me. We've become so much about come as you are. And I'm all about that. But we've become so much about that that we've gotten casual about the holiness of God. And when you get casual about the holiness of God, you get casual about the holiness of God's people. You cannot read your Bible without being convinced of the fact God cares about the way you live. God cares about your words and he cares about your thoughts and he cares about your habits. He cares about the way you treat your spouse. He cares about the way you treat your children. He cares about the way you treat your co-workers. God wants you to lead a, a life that is holy. And I'm afraid that many churches have kind of lowered that standard a little bit. In our church covenant, we want to make it clear that we don't expect anybody to be perfect. We don't expect anybody to be sinless. And we don't ever want to be a church that looks down our nose at people that sin in a different way than we do. But at the end of the day, God does expect us to live lives that are different than the world. And we are going to keep each other accountable to do so. Lastly, we'll work together for the continuance of a faithful gospel ministry in this church. As we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expense of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We uphold our gospel witness through the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. This is why I say church members should definitely be at Lord's Supper. We uphold the gospel witness through church discipline. We'll talk about that down the road. We uphold the gospel witness through giving faithfully of our finances. 
It takes missionaries to take, it does take missionaries to take the gospel to the world, but it takes money to, take, to send missionaries to the, to the ends of the earth. By joining the church, listen, and I'm done, you are owning a part of the responsibility for all of this. And reciting this covenant regularly is going to remind all of us of our responsibilities that we carry. We end the same way the Apostle Paul ended the book of 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. If you're in Christ, you know the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So every time we quote this covenant, we're going to give this benediction, a corporate prayer for all of those things to continue in our lives and in our church. If you're part of the fellowship family and, and you're, in the process, or you're in the process of becoming a church member now, I hope you'll come back tonight at 545, not just for communion, but also to commit or recommit yourself to being a meaningful church member. I hope that if you're not fulfilling the, the biblical responsibilities of a church member as noted in the covenant based on scripture, that you'll recommit yourself to being a meaningful church member again. Fellowship Baptist Church is most healthy and most effective when its members are most committed. If you're not currently a member of our church, let me tell you first that you don't have to be. You're welcome to attend here. You're welcome to worship with our church family as long as you desire. But I hope that as you, that you seek the Lord, you'll begin to ask for his direction and wisdom on what church you should be formally committed to in membership. This may take some time, it may take some processing on your end, but I believe that God wants you to eventually commit to a church so that they can commit to you and so that you can be everything he desires you and your family to be for him. If you're interested in learning more about becoming a member, you can take a connect card. They're right located in the seat back in front of you. We're not going to have a formal invitation today or response in that way. But the way you could respond if you're interested in knowing more about membership is just fill out that connect card. Put out your contact information on there. Drop it in the offering here in just a moment. On the back side of that card, you'll notice a little box beside the words church membership or something like that. And I want you to just check that box and we'll follow up with you as soon as possible. Again, we won't have a formal invitation, but I do want to take a moment to pray for everyone in here today that, that may be seeking the Lord on the next right step to take in regards to who you want to call your church family. And then I'm going to pray that God will continue to bless us and empower us as Fellowship Baptist Church to commit to one another and to commit to the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. Would you pray with me?